to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. Awesome. All right. Well, hey, if you have your Bible today, why don't you grab it? Or your app, open your app, grab your Bible, open your app. If you are going old school with a paper Bible, turn with me to Psalm 103. Psalm 103, put your finger there and then flip over to Exodus chapter 3. So Psalm 103, put your finger there, save it, bookmark it, put a pen there, and then flip over to uh, Exodus chapter 3. And I told you that we are starting a new series today, and I'm so glad that you are here on this day, that we're starting this new series uh, that will run through the fall, and uh, we are calling this series Milk and Honey, Milk and Honey. And uh, this may be, we'll see how this all goes, but I, I, I already have a feeling this may be the most delicious series that we have ever done here at One Church, and so I'm so excited for it. And so uh, I want to look at this verse of Scripture out of Exodus chapter 3, verse 17, and this is kind of the key text that we'll just springboard out of today in Exodus chapter 3, and uh, we're talking as we are in this series on milk and honey, we're talking about what does it look like to live a blessed life? What does it look like to live in the blessing of God? And that phrase, milk and honey, comes right out of Exodus chapter 3, verse 17, and the context of this verse is that God has appeared to Moses, and he has promised Moses that he's going to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt out of slavery in Egypt. And he says this in verse 17. If you have it, just look on. We'll put it on the screen. It says this, I have said, this is God speaking, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. I love that. I'll bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. And then he goes on to say, I'll bring you to a land flowing with milk and honey. Isn't that awesome? Come on, isn't that awesome? I'll bring you out of a land uh, of Egypt. I'll bring you out of the affliction of Egypt, and I will bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey. And the reason I say that that is awesome is because ultimately this is not just about what God did for Israel thousands of years ago. Ultimately, this is a picture of what God offers to every single one of us in salvation through Jesus Christ. And this is what he's saying, I'm going to bring you out of the old life, I'm going to bring you out of bondage, but I'm not just going to bring you out of, I'm going to bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey. Anybody thankful that God's brought you out of some stuff in the past? Aren't you thankful for that? That is good news, but let me tell you, that's not the full story. It's not just, I will bring you out of bondage, but I'm going to bring you into blessing. And I want you to understand that, that God's plan and God's purpose for every single person is not just to bring us out of bondage, but it's also to bring us into blessing. Now, I know oftentimes when we talk about blessing, you know, there's a lot of connotations that may come to mind. Some of you hear the word blessing and you think that's just kind of a Christian pleasantry. You know, if you're feeling real spiritual, you'll sign your email blessings. You know what I'm saying? Or maybe it's just art from Hobby Lobby that says blessings on it. Or, or maybe you hear the word blessing and you're like, okay, is this the moment that we all start driving Bentleys and like 
you know, Justin starts wearing a white suit, looking like he came off a P. Diddy video, you know what I'm saying? Is that what we're talking about here? And, and I, I have to tell you, there's a lot of misconceptions about what blessing is. And, and let me just rest your mind at ease. I'm going to wear the same jeans I always wear. I'm going to drive the same car that I always drive. But oftentimes, the misconceptions around this idea of blessing cause us to miss out on God's purpose and God's plan for us. And, and you cannot read the Bible without understanding blessing. You cannot understand God's plan for your life without understanding blessing. Let me go even further. You can't understand God without understanding blessing. That's a bold statement to say, but I believe it, and I believe God wants us to have a, an understanding of his plan and purpose, not just to bring us out of the old life, but to bring us into a life of blessing. Amen? There's a lot of people that, you know, they're saved out of the old life, but they're, never, they're not quite sure what they're saved to. They're not quite sure where they're headed. Those are the people that, you know, like Israel, they live in the wilderness. Have you ever met somebody and they say, you know, they talk about all the great times they used to have. We, I used to have fun. I used to, you know, it's Uncle Rico syndrome. I used to do all these great things, and then I got saved. And, and they talk about saved like that's a, you know, a, a condition that is contagious, and I got saved, you know. Used to have all, these, all, all this fun, then I got saved. Well, what is that? They don't understand that God's not just wanting to bring you out of the old. He's wanting to bring you into the new. He doesn't want to just bring us out of, blessing, or out of bondage. He wants to bring us into blessing. And so uh, my goal for you today is that you would understand that God's plan and purpose for you is to bless you, is to bless you. And I want to look at a scripture that is not Psalm 103 yet. You don't have to turn with me to this scripture, but you can look at it later. I want to look at the first mention of blessing in the Bible. You know, scholars and theologians tell us that there is a principle that they call first mention, the principle of first mention, that if you want to understand a theme or a topic or a word, you need to look back at what the first mention of that was, that there's something in the first mention of it in the Bible that gives us an understanding of what God is thinking of when he uses that word. And so we're going to look at this passage in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, or, or you can look at it later. But this is the first account of blessing. It's the creation story. And the Bible says that God made the world. He made creation. And he, he looked over everything and he saw that it was good. And then he made mankind. And the Bible says in Genesis 1:27, let us make man in our image and, and according to our likeness. And it says he made them male and female. He made them. And then it says this, then God blessed them. God made them, and the very next thing that happened is God blessed them. In other words, before there was sin, before there was sickness, before there was heartbreak, before there was any problems in the world, before any of that happened, there was blessing. Let me, I could say it this way, God made you for blessing. God created you to bless you. He created the world, the good things of the world, and he put you in it, and he blessed you. How many of you think that's good news? And, uh, but you don't have to read much further in the story before you see that things kind of take a, a turn for the worst. In Genesis chapter 3, 
mankind kind of decides that, uh, you know, they want the, the blessing without the blesser. They decide they want the gifts without the giver. And, and basically, they try to vote God off the island, right? They say, we want, it, we want to do it our way. And they turned away from God. And the story of the Bible is that, uh, that, that it, the Scripture says that because of their disconnection from God and the blessing of God, that a curse came to the world. A curse spread to all of the world. Now, a, a blessing is, if you understand what a blessing is, in the Hebrew language, it is the word barak. Everybody say barak. So it sounds familiar. Some of you are like, yes, that's fitting for blessing. Some of you are like, that's ironic for blessing. But um, that is the word for blessing. And here's what that word means, is that it is basically the projection of goodness into the life of another. It's the projection of God's goodness onto mankind. God made man and he projected his goodness onto mankind. But then through sin, the curse entered into the world and that blessing was, was uh, withheld from God. And, and today, you don't have to look very far around the world to see brokenness, to see pain, to see suffering, to see all of the difficulties in the world today, and there is an angst in the heart of humanity. This is not the way it should be. What is that? It is a longing for the good life, the blessed life that God intended for mankind. People may say there is no God, there is no creator, there is no absolutes until something bad happens in their life, and they go, this is not the way it should be. What is that? It's that longing for blessing to be restored. And that's the story of the Bible is really about God restoring the blessing back to, back to creation, back to mankind. If you read a little further in the book of Genesis, God shows up to a man named Abraham. And he shows up to him. Abraham wasn't looking for God. He wasn't seeking after God. He was an idol worshiper, not a good man. But God showed up to him and he said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And through you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. What was God doing? He was reinitiating, reinstituting, reestablishing his blessing strategy into the world. And Galatians says this, that ultimately that blessing was fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus hung on the cross, the Bible says this, that when he hung on the cross, he became cursed. Why? So that we could receive the blessing that had been promised to Abraham. The projection of God's goodness could be restored back into our lives. That's why Galatians chapter 3 verse 6 says this, that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know only that those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. Here's the gospel. Here's the, the, the foundation of our faith. How does Paul describe it? Paul says that the gospel that was preached to Abraham is that through you, I'm going to bless the world. Through you, I'm going to restore, and ultimately through your line, through Jesus Christ, I'm going to restore blessing back into the world. 
And, and here's why that is so important for us to understand, because ultimately we need to recognize that God is a blesser. I don't know if you're fully convinced of that this morning, that God is a blesser. It's his nature. He doesn't do it because he has to. Just like Nate was saying, it's not like, oh, I really, you twisted my arm. He is so good that he just overflows with goodness. Why? It's his nature to bless because he is so good. And it's important for us to understand that because how we view God determines how we approach God. How we see God determines how we approach God. Do you see him as a blesser or do you see him as a, a judge or a disciplinarian? How do you see God? You see, oftentimes there's two major errors that we fall into in how we view God. And one is what I would call, a, a uh, we see God as a cosmic killjoy. Cosmic killjoy. The other is what I would call um, seeing him as like a, a cosmic um, slot machine. A cosmic slot machine, the cosmic slot machine says, I just kind of put good things in. If I do good things, then God owes me good things. You ever played the slot machine? Come on, you can be honest. Yeah, some of you have. You've been to Vegas. And that's how some people view God. It's just, I'm going to put my, I'm coming to church, I'm putting my coins in. I'm, I'm reading my Bible, I'm putting my coins in. I'm praying so God owes me, and if I keep doing it long enough, then someday the blessing's going to come. And here's the error of that is it becomes trans transactional with God. It, you're, you're thinking, if I do these things, then God has to bless me. Notice how the blessing came to Abraham. It wasn't because of his work. It was because of his faith. It was because he believed God. And so one error is that God's the cosmic slot machine in the sky. The other is that God's the cosmic killjoy. And that view kind of says this, that, you know, I'm not really sure if I can trust God to give me good things. I'm not really sure if God really wants to give me good things, and so I actually need to take it into my own hands. I need to take control of my own life. I can't really trust that what God is telling me to do is going to lead me to good things. It's I want the blessing, but I'm not sure that I can trust God to bless me. But there is another way, and that is the recognition that Jesus had and that God wants all of us to have, that God is not a cosmic slot machine, and he's not a cosmic killjoy, but he is what Jesus calls our heavenly father. Our heavenly father. Now, our heavenly father wants relationship. He's not a slot machine. He's a person. And, and he doesn't want to be used just for what he gives to us. But he's also not a killjoy. Because any of you that have children know, like the Bible says, that earthly fathers being evil love to give good things to their kids. And so the Bible reveals to us that God is our heavenly father. You see, David understood this. Now we're getting to Psalm 103. David understood this. Flip over because you want to follow along with me. In Psalm 103, David understood that God is a blesser, that God is a good God that wants to bring good things into the lives of his children. And that's why he says this in Psalm 103. He says, bless the Lord. 
O my soul. That's what we were singing. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and let all that's within me cry out. David said, all that is within me, bless his holy name. I want you to notice, first of all, David doesn't start with bless me. He doesn't start with God, pretty please. He starts with God, I'm going to bless you. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to praise you. I'm going to tell you how good you are. Why? Because I recognize the goodness of God. And so I'm going to praise your name. I'm going to give it back to you in praise. Here's what I want you to understand today. Write this down. Every blessing that does not turn to praise will turn into pride. If you don't turn the blessings of God on your life, a.k.a. every good thing that is in your life, if you don't turn it back to praise, it will turn into pride. And David is saying this, I'm not going to go towards pride. I'm not going to think for a minute that my hand, my strength, my effort, my work ethic has done this for me. I'm going to bless the Lord. And notice he says this. He starts to talk to his soul. Do you remember what your soul is from last week? Your soul is your mind and your emotions. You know, sometimes you don't feel very blessed. Who knows what I'm talking about? Sometimes you wake up on a Monday and you don't feel blessed. You feel stressed, right? You feel, you, you feel the weight of the world. But David said this, I'm not going to wait until everything in life is good. I'm just going to begin to speak about the goodness of God in my situation. You see, your revelation of the goodness of God will manifest in your praise back to God. If you don't have a song of praise in your mouth, let me tell you this. It's not just a mouth problem. It's a heart problem. Ultimately, it's you have not understood how good God is to you. That's what we were singing today. I'll sing because you are good. And I'll dance because you are good. Now, I, I don't know if you're a dancer. I'm not. Let me just say that again. I'm not a dancer, okay? But why do we clap our hands? Not because we're just feeling the beat, feeling the vibe. That's not it. That's just your soul. It's because your spirit recognizes the goodness of God and what God has done for you, how good he is. And you're going to say, soul, come on, wake up. It's Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, but that's what you want to be in bed, but soul, the body is here, my spirit is here, so mind and emotions get engaged. Praise the Lord. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, speak to your soul to praise the Lord. Oh, magnify, that's what David says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. What's he saying? He's just saying, I'm going to focus on the greatness of God, the goodness of God. Let me tell you this, what you focus on will get bigger. You can focus on your problems, and they will get magnified. But you can focus on the goodness of God, the blessing of God, the favor of God. Like David said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and let all that is within me bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Listen to this. And forget not all, what does it say? Forget not all his benefits. His benefits. Now let me tell you this. If God never gave us a benefit, he's a blessing enough. If God never did anything for you in this life, 
He alone is a blessing enough that we could sing and dance and shout and praise because of his goodness. How many of you know if they can sing and dance and shout and put their hands in the air at a football game because a pigskin goes across the line? Have you ever thought about the, what they're doing, what we're doing? Now, I'm not dogging on football. I'm just saying when we, when we do that, how much more should we bless the Lord for his goodness? Not because of what he does for us, but because of who he is. But here's what you, the reality is. God's so good, you can't separate the nature of God from the benefits of God. You can't separate the benefits of God. He's, he does good because he is good. And so when you serve the Lord, you get caught up in this cycle of blessing. You get caught, right? Chance said when the praises go up, the blessings come down. Is that right? That's, that's what he's talking about. And he, so here's the benefits, and I want you to get these benefits that are available to every single one of us through Jesus. Five benefits that David lists here that we need to understand are benefits. If you serve the Lord, here's the benefits that God gives to us. Number one, he says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. Number one, who forgives all your iniquities. Who forgives how many? All your iniquities. Now, I, there's sometimes moments where I feel like there's certain things that are more forgivable to me than other things. There's certain things where I feel like, well, yeah, God should forgive me for that. But then there's other things that I'm like, man, that just carries a different weight. But let me tell you today that the Bible says here, he doesn't forgive some, he forgives all. All of your iniquities. Notice that word iniquities. You know, oftentimes we don't talk about sin in church. There used to be a big emphasis on sin. You're a sinner, turn and burn. Put a heavy revy on people, you know what I'm saying? And, and oftentimes it was all bad news with no good news, but here's the reality. If you never understand the bad news, the good news doesn't sound that good. If somebody came up to me and said, you don't have cancer, I'd be like, cool. But if I thought I had cancer and then somebody came up, the doctor came up and said, your reports are clear, I'd be like, yeah. I would be shouting, right? And, and the reality is that our forgiveness of sins, you'll never understand the goodness of God if you don't understand the badness of you. If you think you're pretty good, we'll ask some people around you, okay? But he says, you forgive all my iniquities. The Bible uses two main words for, for sin to describe sin. The first word is transgression. And that means the things that I do outwardly that I should not do. I transgress. I'm, I'm committing active sin against God. But the other kind is what he's talking about here that says it's not transgression, it's iniquity. And transgression is outward, active sin. Iniquity is like the name iniquity connotes. It is inward. It's inward. You see, transgression is active sin, but iniquity is my propensity towards sin. It's the thing that draws me into sin. It's the twistedness of my own nature that causes me to keep going back to the things that have held me captive. 
You see, iniquity is that thing within you that when you have said a thousand times, I'll never do it again, and you find yourself back there again, that is iniquity. And God doesn't just forgive our transgressions. He forgives our iniquity. Let me say it this way. For Israel, God didn't just want to get them out of Egypt. He wanted to get Egypt out of them. You see, a lot of people live in that place where they're out of it, but they're still, they still have those inward desires. They've not let God truly set them free. That's where Israel was when they came out of Egypt. The Bible says there was a moment that they started saying, I wish I could go back to Egypt. They said, we, at least in Egypt, we had garlic and leeks and onions. I wish we could go back to garlic and leeks and onions. Listen to what they were saying. They were slaves set free, but then they wanted to go back. Have you noticed that garlic, leeks, and onions taste good in the moment but stink the next day? How many of you know there's some things in you, desires in you, that God wants to deal with that ultimately are appetites that if they're not dealt with, they will bring you back into bondage. That's why the Bible says this, stand fast therefore and let us not become uh, yoked with a slave of bondage or a, a, a yoke of bondage. And Isaiah 53 verse 5 says this, that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions, those outward sins that you have committed. He was wounded out externally for those, but not only that, he was bruised for our iniquities. What is a bruise? It's an internal wound. You see, God was wounded, Jesus was wounded internally so that you could be whole internally. That's the benefits of serving God. He wants to not just get us out of Egypt, he wants to get Egypt out of us. He wants to set you free from the appetites that will bring you back into bondage. So number one, benefit number one, he forgives all our iniquities. Number two, it says this, who heals all your diseases. Not only does he forgive your iniquities, but it says he heals your diseases. Let me ask you today, do you really believe that God can heal you? Do you really believe that God heals diseases? I know sometimes we can pray for people and it can kind of be that, you know, Christian pleasantry, bless you, be healed. But we may not really believe that God heals us. But if we believe that God can forgive us, it's the same scripture that tells us that God will heal us. You see, again and again throughout the Bible, we see forgiveness and healing go hand in hand. In fact, the scripture that I just read in Isaiah 53, verse 5, it starts off saying, he was wounded, or he was, uh, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquity, but it goes on to say the chastisement of our peace was upon him. What is that? That's the, the, the anxiety, the, the torment in your mind was on him, and then it goes on to say, and by his stripes we are healed. I want you to see that, that healing and forgiveness go hand in hand. Healing is not kind of a nice optional upgrade for those who deserve it. It is available for every person who's put their faith in Jesus. That's why 
when Jesus was walking one day, he saw a lame man laying down, and he said, uh, son, your sins are forgiven. To which perhaps the lame man would have been like, cool, that's not really what I was hoping for. You know what I mean? Like uh, the Pharisees come up and say, who are you to forgive sins? And he said, just so you know, the son of man, Jesus said, the son of man has the power to forgive sins and heal the sick, take up your mat and walk. So just like Isaiah says, healing and forgiveness go hand in hand. It's two sides of the same coin. Jesus is saying the same thing. And I know we live in this already and not yet moment, but here's what I want you to understand. If you don't believe, if you don't understand what's available to you, you will miss out on the benefits that are available to you. And it says, he heals all your diseases. I believe that God wants to heal some of us that that are suffering with sickness, chronic sickness. God wants to heal you. Why? It's a benefit that he offers to every single person through Jesus. Number three, he says this, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. Number three, who redeems your life from destruction. So the third thing is not only forgiveness and not only healing, but it's also redemption. He redeems your life from destruction. Now, I know we don't use the word redemption a lot, unless you're Bob Marley, he used it, but we don't use that word a lot today in our language, but there is one place that we often use it, and this is an illustration I've given to you before. That's with a coupon, right? A coupon, you redeem it, right? I've told you before, my wife will get a, a Bed Bath & Beyond coupon in the mail, and to me, I'm like, I'll throw it away. I did this week. I asked her for an illustration. I said, do you have a Bed Bath & Beyond coupon to use as an illustration? She said, you threw it away. (laughs) But she doesn't throw them away because she knows the value. You see, that that card may cost 10 cents to print it, but when she takes it to Bed Bath & Beyond, and that 20% off can turn into significant money. It can turn into $20. It can turn into a hundred dollars, depending on how free she's feeling that day, right? <laughs> but, but here's what I want you to see is that there is added value, how? Through redemption. And when God redeems you, he adds value to your life. He actually, he, he just lifts you up. It's what some theologians call redemption and lift, That's what we were talking about last week in that prison that I told you about, that all of these inmates turned to Jesus, and suddenly the prison violence rates went down, and suddenly the the recidivism rates went down, and all of these things happened. Why? Because people had been redeemed. They used to feel like, well, why not engage in crime? I'm in prison for life anyway. What's the point in not doing these things? But when the gospel came into their hearts, they were transformed and they were redeemed, suddenly their life began to have value. And I I read a study not too long ago. This happened a number of years ago. But in this study, they were studying um, how much value people will stop and pick up, or how much does it take for somebody. If you find money on the floor, how much money does it take for you to stop, bend over, and pick it up? And they're saying that the more you know, the more money you make, the more valuable your time is, the less 
likely you are to stop and pick up a small amount of money. Who knows what I'm talking about? I mean, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, if I saw a penny on the other side of the room, I'm going for it, right? Uh, now I'm like, uh, five, a nickel, a dime, a quarter. I'll stop for a quarter, right? Uh, because it's the value, right? Uh, this study said that Bill Gates, if he finds anything on the floor less than $45,000, it's not worth his time to stop and pick it up. More for us, right? I'll just walk behind him. $44,000, i will take it. Thank you, Bill. But here's what I want you to know is that when God saves you, he redeems you. He picks you up. The Bible says he, he picks you up out of the pit. In other words, he doesn't just save you to go to heaven when you die, although if that was all, that would be amazing. But he also makes your life better. Andy Stanley said it this way, following Jesus will make life better and make you better at life. When a heart is transformed, it has an impact on life. It just makes life work better when you serve Jesus. When you obey what he tells you to do, when you follow the instructions that he gives to you, it's not necessarily about your salvation, but it may be about experiencing the blessing that he has for you. Rodney Stark, a sociologist, wrote a book a number of years ago called America's Blessing, and he just talked about the blessings of God on America. The subtitle is uh, Why Religion is Good for Everyone, Even Atheists. And Rodney Stark is not a believer, but he was looking at America, at the history of America, and at the good things that have come into America, not perfect history, but he's looking at the good things that have come to America through the godly heritage and foundation that has been set in our nation. And so he looked at these effects on the culture today, and here's some benefits that he just said come into a society. Again, he's not even a Christian, but he said here's some things that happen when people serve Jesus. He says that believers engage in less criminal and more pro-social behavior. Believers experience higher marital happiness and lower divorce rates while producing more and better behaved children. Report, report more satisfying sex with their spouse and less cheating. They experience better mental health and they give more generously in time and money. They're more successful, better educated, and less credulous or less willing to fall for a scam. What is that? That's the redemption of God manifesting in their lives. That's what the Bible is talking about here, that he doesn't just forgive you, he doesn't just heal you, but he also redeems you. Do you see God as a redeemer? Maybe you look at things in your past and you think, man, that's a mess that, that, that I can never undo. Well, God doesn't just forgive you. He'll also redeem you. He'll pick you up out of the mess and bless your life. He goes on to say, is this good news? Anybody glad for this? Good. Okay. He says this, number four, that he not only forgives you and heals you and redeems you, but number four, it says, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Now, here in the States, we don't think a lot about crowns and crowning and all of the pageantry around that, but as most of you know, I lived in the UK as a kid for a period of time, and I understood, I saw the significance of the crown. Some of you watch the, show, the Netflix, 
you know, series. You know what I'm talking about. I've promised my wife that I will watch season two with her. You can hold me to it. But what is the crown? What's the significance of the crown? The crown is a symbol of authority. It's a symbol of authority. And, and David is saying here, he is a king, but he's saying it's not just about the external authority, but he's saying that there is a spiritual authority. In other words, when God saves you, he puts a crown of loving kindness and tender mercies on your head. He gives you authority. Let me say it this way. When Jesus comes into your life, he turns you from a victim into a victor. He turns you, you may feel like I'm a victim, my life circumstances, the problems of my life, I'm a victim to the people around me, I'm facing all of these problems, but when Jesus comes into your life, the Bible says that he, his benefits are that he crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. You don't have to live life, you know, broke down. You don't have to live life feeling like you're a victim of Life. Jesus said, it, Jesus said it this way, you can't take my life from me, I freely lay it down. What's he saying? I'm not a victim. Even in the crucifixion, I'm not a victim, I'm a victor. I'm, I'm a victor in life. As the Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 5 verse 17, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life. Not just in death, but reign in life. Through Jesus Christ. God wants to put authority on our life. He wants to put you in authority. And I even believe in, in uh, the areas of our own influence in our world, that we're not influenced by the world, but we are the influencers in the world. Look at how many times throughout the Bible God takes people and he puts them in places that in the natural they have no business being. Have you ever read about Daniel? Have you ever read about Gideon? Have you ever read about these people that God lifts them up and he puts a crown of loving kindness and tender mercy on their life? He gives them authority so that they are reigning in life. But here's what I want you to see is that authority follows maturity. Authority follows maturity. They don't crown the two-year-old, right? They don't, they don't give him the throne, because authority follows maturity. Let me bring it into our context. Next week, I'm going to have a teenager in my house for the first time ever. Anders will be a teenager. Pray for me. And for the next 18 years, I will have a teenager in my house. Not him that whole time. 18 years from now, he'll be out of the house. But I will have a teenager for the next 18 years. I did the math. Don't worry about it. But the moment will come, not next week, but a few years from now, that Anders will want the keys to the car. And uh, you remember when you first drove your parents' car, and it didn't matter. I mean, that you'd get in that minivan, and you'd drive it like it was, uh, you were the, you know, king of the world, right? You felt like you're on top of the world. Why? Because you had been given authority. But authority follows maturity, I don't give the keys to Clara. I don't give the keys to Anders today. I give the keys when there is a point of maturity. And God wants to bring you and I to a place of maturity so that he can bring us into the authority that he has for us. 
That's why we're talking about living the Jesus life together, really being followers of Jesus, not just churchgoers, not just casual Christians, but people who believe the Word of God, follow the Word of God, and are growing into the likeness of Jesus so that we can receive the authority that He has for us. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Verse 5, last point, is he says this, not only does he forgive you, not only does he heal you, not only does he redeem you, and not only does he crown you, but number five is this, he satisfies you. Who satisfies your mouth with good things. God is a satisfier. You were made for satisfaction. You were made for delight. To serve Jesus, to follow God, is not a death to your desires. It is an increase and fulfillment to the deepest longings of your heart. God wants to satisfy your mouth with good things. You may feel like, if I, if I really trust God, if I really obey God, will I experience the success or will I experience the, 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 the joy? Will I experience the, the, the good things that I want for in my life? Yes, you will, because he satisfies your mouth with good things. One commentator on this says that the word mouth doesn't just mean your literal mouth, but the translation is like the uh, like the ornaments, it means ornaments of your mouth, or in other words, like the bit and bridle of a horse. And it's saying this, that not only does he satisfy your mouth, but he's using your desires to steer you towards his purpose. Like a bit is put in a horse's mouth, and, and the rider uses the bit and the bridle to, to turn that horse God will satisfy you and he will turn the desires of your heart ultimately into things that will lead you not into bondage, but will lead you into blessing. That's why the Bible says it this way, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You can read it and think that that means, well, if I just delight myself in God, then he's going to give me everything I want. And I would say that is true. Well, there's actually another way to read it. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he's going to give you or put the desires he wants for you in your heart. You know, my kids have some desires now. They'd like to play video games all day, every day. But how many of you know, if I let them, that may be their desire, and I love to give them things that they want. I want them to enjoy things, but I also know if they play video games all day, every day, their brain will turn into mush and run out their ear, right? And, and so I don't give them what they want all the time, but my goal is that as they grow in maturity, they will actually have the desires that will begin to direct them towards life-giving things. And that is a blessing of serving God, that He doesn't just satisfy you with whatever you want, Sometimes giving you whatever you want is a form of judgment. It's a form of punishment. But he actually wants to begin to transform your heart so that he can lead you into the things that will bring blessing and joy and life into your life. That's why Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19, as the worship team comes back up, says this, If you are willing and obedient... You will eat the good of the land. 
If you're willing and obedient, God's saying there's blessing, there's good things, there's, there's milk and honey. There's life, there's joy, there's peace, there's fulfillment, there's everything that you want is available. But I'm not trying to pull you away from it. It's, I'm trying to lead you towards it. I'm trying to lead you towards it. I don't want to take things from you. I want to give things to you. Why? Because he's a good father and he loves to give his children good things. But it's as we're willing and obedient that we eat the good of the land. In closing, I want you to see this, those five benefits. Not only does he forgive us, not only does he heal us, not only does he redeem us, not only does he crown us, and not only does he satisfy us, but all of those things hang on one thing. It says this, who he forgives all your iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from destruction? Who crowns you? Who satisfies you? Who? Bless the Lord. It's the Lord that satisfies you. It's the Lord that forgives you. It's the Lord that heals you. It's the Lord that redeems you. You see, all of the blessings of God are dependent upon your willingness to submit to the Lord. The blessings are available to everyone, but not everyone will experience the blessings because they're not willing to submit to the Lord. The word Lord we don't use a lot today. That Perhaps the only place that we may use it commonly is our landlord. It's the owner of our house. The original Old English word that we get Lord from was a compound word, loaf ward. It was the one who owned the property and who distributed the food, the loaves, the bread, the good things. And the Lord that you are under determined the blessing that you received. And Jesus is saying this, so the Bible that David is saying this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's as you submit to the Lordship of Jesus in your life that you'll experience the blessings of God in your life. There's three people, three groups of people. In fact, you can stand up. I'll dismiss you in just a, a few minutes. But I want to ask you, if you would, just to bow your heads today. And as we close, just to take an inventory of your heart. As God is wanting to bring us into a place of blessing, here's the question. Is Jesus your Lord? Is Jesus your Lord? I don't mean just a the theological Distinction. I mean, have you really surrendered, here's the key word, ownership of your life to Jesus? Have you really said in your heart, Jesus, you are in control. You own my life. And Jesus, I'm trusting because you are so good that even if you give me what I don't think I want, I'm trusting that what you have for me is the very best thing for me. I know there's probably three people, three groups of people that are here today. Number one, there's perhaps people that you've not made Jesus the Lord of your life. You've never surrendered your life. You're still living under your own control, doing life your way. And I want to pray with you today. I believe that God wants to bless your life. He's not looking to judge you. He's not looking to take things from you. He's wanting to give good things to you. So perhaps that's you here today, or maybe there's people who are here that are what I would call part-time followers. Part-time followers. You see, here's the thing about benefits, is not everybody gets benefits. 
part-timers don't get the full benefits. You can't get a, the full benefits of serving Jesus as a part-time follower. And perhaps there's some of us who are here today that if we're honest, we're part-time followers. There's some things in our life that we have not fully surrendered to God, fully yielded to Him. And I want to give you the opportunity, I believe right now, even in your own heart, would you just say in your own heart, God, I surrender to you. God, I surrender to you. Or perhaps there's people here today that you'd say, I'm a full-time follower of Jesus, but you're not experiencing the benefits that David talked about here because you don't know the benefits. You see, sometimes we miss out on the benefits because we don't know what's in the benefit package. And over the upcoming weeks, we're going to be looking at the Word of God. We're going to be diving into the benefit package, and we're going to talk about how do we experience the blessing of God on our lives, not because we are so good, but because He's so good. So wherever you're at today, I want to ask everybody, if you would, just to bow your heads.